continuing on in the Gospel of John, and to give you just a tad bit of context to remind you since last Sunday was a long time ago, and for those of you who were with us on Wednesday, that's a long time ago too when it comes to uh, some of us, and so we want to be reminded briefly of what we studied last week. The officers were sent to arrest Jesus. It was not his time yet. Jesus then starts talking to them, explaining that he's going to go somewhere where no one's going to be able to follow him. And they're getting confused. They don't know what's going on. And on the last day of the Feast of Booths, he stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And as we talked about, it goes on to continue to explain that this is the Holy Spirit that comes to dwell inside of us. And that came to them after Christ had been glorified, after His death, burial, resurrection, and His ascension to heaven. Then you see in the early book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes and fills the believers, and that's how He works today. You trust in Christ and you're given the Spirit of God to live inside of you. That's where verse 40 is. So we need that, so now we can get into verse 40. Let's go through it verse by verse. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, verse 41, this is the Christ. Notice right away, they, they hear the words that Jesus is speaking and they put them into two different categories. The first they say, this really is the prophet. If you're able to, flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 18 because we want to know what in the world are they talking about? Why are they saying he's the prophet? It may be up on the screen as well, but in Deuteronomy 18, starting in verse 15, Scripture says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses speaking. From among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among your brothers. And I will put, look at this, I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. God's very serious. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word of the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken and presumptuously, you need not be afraid of him. It's this prophet, one that's greater than Moses, that some of the people are starting to say, that's who this is. He's greater than Moses. He's going to deliver us like Moses. He's going to do miracles, but better than Moses. That's what part of the people are saying. 
But then there's another group. The other group are saying, no, 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 this is the Christ. This is the Savior. This is the promised one who's to come for us. He's going to deliver us as well, like Moses did, but he's going to do even more. He's going to be our leader. He's going to establish his kingdom. He's going to save us. Some are saying this is the Christ. What's incredible is that actually Jesus is both. He's the prophet who's greater than Moses, and he's the Savior. He's the Messiah. He's the promised one. So they both were half right. They didn't quite get it all. You got to go together. So they're a little bit confused, still a little bit divided. We're seeing that in this section. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Talked a little bit about this. They're like, No, no, Jesus, he's from Nazareth. The scriptures don't say that, do they? Verse 42, has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Clearly, Jesus can't be the guy. Where does it say this? If you're able to, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, again, it may be up there for you. The Lord makes a covenant with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and this is part of what they're thinking about when they're saying that the, the Messiah would have to come from David's line. Listen to what it says. When your days are fulfilled, God is talking to David, and you lie down with your fathers, when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body. Okay? So this is someone that has to be part of David's family. That's why some of the other stories, that's why the genealogy is not boring in the beginning of the Gospels. If you know the stories that go behind those and how God worked all these incredible things together to make sure that the Messiah would come, it's actually remarkable. It goes back to what Ashton was talking about, how nothing is impossible with God, even when it seems like, uh uh-oh, looks like it's going to be cut off, the Messiah is not going to come. God does something incredible to make sure that the Messiah comes from the line of David. Who shall come from your body? I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, this is interesting. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. That's not the ones that any sin that Jesus committed, that's our sin on him. Again, this is, this is we're talking 2 Samuel, we're talking a long time ago, these prophecies about the coming one. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is what they're thinking about when they say this in verse 42. Has not the Scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David? That's what they're thinking about. But it also says, and comes from Bethlehem. Some of you are familiar with this passage in Micah. The minor prophet Micah. Chapter 5. 
verse starting in verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you, from you, shall come forth for me one who is to be a ruler in Israel. Listen to this. Whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the, of ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. That's what they're thinking about. So they're doing a good job. They're trying to say, wait, he can't be the Messiah. He can't be the promised one. He comes from Nazareth. He comes from Galilee. He's supposed to come from David's line, from Bethlehem. There's a problem. Oh no. What are we going to do? I know you guys are really worried. Except you know more of the story. Where was Jesus born? And that's a pretty incredible story, of course, and God working in great ways. And if you trace back in those boring genealogies, whose line does he come from? David's. They didn't do the research. They were going off of things they assumed about Jesus and things they heard about Jesus. But they didn't look for themselves. If they had looked for themselves, they would have known these truths about Jesus. I think that's something for us we need to consider. How much of what you believe and think about Jesus is what you've heard or what you assume? You might be surprised if you dig in to this word and he's a little different than maybe what you think and he's definitely different from what the world says. Praise be to God that he's different than what the world says. So now we have the context here. They're saying, no, no, he must be the prophet. No, no, he must be the Christ. Well, but wait, he can't be the Christ. He doesn't, he, the Christ doesn't come from Galilee. Oh no, Jesus is both. He comes from Bethlehem. He comes from the line of David. So now look, verse 43. So there was a division among the people over him. You know what's incredible? That still hasn't changed today. That has not changed today. It's interesting. I was looking at, just trying to pull up some statistics. And again, you know, they can always be a little bit tainted. But um, statistics, a few years ago, they said that 92% of Americans, at least, believe Jesus was a historical person. 92%, now again, that number probably has gone up or down one way or the other, but it would say, yes, Jesus lived on the earth, he was a historical person. When you get into, was Jesus sinless? It drops down about 50%. Was Jesus God? 50%. Probably now, since it's a few years old, probably even lower. Especially among those my age and even younger, a lot less. People are still divided. If you look around the world, those who claim to be Christians, around two, they say two billion, maybe two and a half billion, something like that. The population of the earth, seven billion, something like that. Again, there's division. And even among that two billion, 
There would be a lot of division even there of truly who Jesus is. Nothing has changed, and it will never change until he comes back. But there is a day, I promise you, where everyone will know who he is. I pray for many of you that day will not be too late. I pray that you've already decided what side you're on. You said, He's the prophet, He's the Messiah, He's the Savior. That's where I'm at. If you haven't made that decision, please don't leave here without doing it today. So there was division among the people. Verse 44. Some of them wanted to arrest him. Have we heard that before? We've heard that. But no one laid their hands on him because he's really fast. Why do they not lay their hands on him? Why can they not arrest this guy? Let me hear it. Why? It's not his time yet. He does not play by our rules. God does not play by our rules. He's the only one who makes the rules, and we need to. It will go a lot better for us if we will play by his. Okay? They cannot have him yet because his time had not come yet. Well, verse 45, the officers, now these are not like cops, but these are the temple officers, Levites, came back to the chief priest. They sent him out to arrest him. They're not able to arrest him. They come back to the chief priest. They come back to the, the big bosses. Okay? And the Pharisees, the officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why'd you not bring him in? Now we know it's not his time yet. But what it means, it plays out differently to what God actually does to allow Jesus not to be taken yet. It's not his time. That's the overarching thing. God says it's not his time. But what does he actually, how does it work out? Here's how it works out. Listen to what they say. These officers, who are, we're going to get Jesus. Let's go, guys. We go. Here's what the officers answered. Look at this. This is incredible. 46. The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. That's what God used to show them it's not the time yet. These guys who had a task were going to get Jesus. That's their job. Go get him. And they hear him speak. And when he speaks, they go, Mm-mm. I'm not arresting him. There's something different about this guy. There's never, I've never heard anyone speak like this guy. No one in history's ever speak. You know why? Because no one's ever been the God man. He's the God man. That's why he speaks that way. We know that he's the word, and we know that scripture is the word. And so I want to plant here for just a few minutes. You also could say, I've never heard anyone speak like God does in his word. Like God does in his word. But here's the problem. We seem to struggle with this. We seem to struggle with this. Sometimes we read, and if we're being honest... Maybe we're a little bit behind, as Ashton was talking about in our daily Bible reading, right? Ah, darn it, I'm behind. Guess what? That's okay. Don't give up. Keep reading. Keep reading. Because listen, inside, you're going to hear things you've never heard before. Been studying Scripture in depth now for about 15 years. I thought I knew all that it said 15 years ago. Boy, was I a dummy. <laughs> I went off to seminary, and I'm like, I got this thing. I'll go learn the Greek and Hebrew just so I can, you know, get in a little deeper. But I've got this. First day of class, one of my teachers took me behind the shed and just showed me 
what it was like to understand even a little bit of scripture. And I went, oh, wow. And each day, each week, God shows me more and more and more. It's just like that idea where you go through the door, right? It's a small room and you're like, okay, I see all the walls. This is great. Then there's another door and you go through that one, right? It's a little bit bigger and then bigger and bigger and it never ends. You will never come to a point to where you understand all of Scripture. But that doesn't mean you don't keep going. You keep digging. I'm going to need a Miller to join me up here for uh, just feeling the last name Miller. Just, I need somebody to come up and be a part of a thing. But I don't need Roy Miller. I'm going to need Susan Miller to please come out for a second. You all would be concerned if I had Roy up here and I was bringing this out. But you know darn well I ain't going to do anything to Miss Susan. Everyone know what this is? Does everyone in here know how to use one of these? I know most of you are thinking right now, well, pastor sure doesn't. They don't know how to do anything. My grandfather, my mother's father, taught me how to shovel. What I found interesting is when I would shovel... My scoops weren't as big as his. And I wouldn't have nearly the amount of dirt on there that he would. It would take me a lot longer to dig a little hole where he's boom, boom, right? In addition, if you've ever shoveled before, how many of you think she knows how to shovel? Yeah, you better, yeah. Some of you are like, ah, but if you know her. What were you doing yesterday with your husband for two hours? Shovel dirt. Shoveling dirt. Now, this was not church discipline. <laughs> mud. Wet mud. Heavier than dirt, right? Now, will you hold on to that for us and show us what, what kind of you had? Good stance. Look at that. Boom. Look at that. Putting her foot on it. She's digging down into it. She knows what she's doing. And tossed it into the back of the Kubota. Throw it in the back of the Kubota. Now, when she's shoveling, I don't know if you've ever done this or if you've shoveled with those who don't know how. Sometimes you get a scoop and you get up and you tilt it and it all falls off pretty much and then you throw it back and there's like nothing going okay I don't think that's you but this morning as we were talking listen to what she said to me she said we were shoveling for two hours and my first thought was like oh man right oh you know what she said I don't know if you remember what she said it was great (laughs) said Miss Susan's crazy she she shoveled too long she was, it was great because it gave her something. Do you remember what she said? Something to... Um, hope. Yes, hope that we would someday get back to our home. Yeah. If you don't know, their, their home up uh, on the Suwannee is they haven't been able to be there. So by God's providence, they have mom's home. They're here so they can be working on this. So Roy can be, and Susan can be working on this. That's all God's providence. Don't worry about it. <laughs> that was good. But what she said, it was interesting. She loved shoveling because it gave her because she had hope of getting back to the house, right? Okay, good. Thank you very much. Give her a hand. She loved shoveling because it gave her hope. Here's what I want to get to with this. We have to dig into God's word for us to really hear from him, to hear him speak in ways that we've never heard before. 
And part of what it is is that's not fun. Sometimes it's really not that fun to read Scripture. Some of you have shared, and I've shared, right? We're kind of going through Job, and you're like middle of Job, and you're like, ah, really don't know what's going on here. I'm struggling. Numbers, oh. But even sometimes when we're in other passages, it's just, it's a job. It's a chore, and we don't feel like doing it. I don't know if they felt like, I really, you know, apart from the hope that they have, would have felt like going out there to shovel just to shovel. You don't do it for that. You do it to find hope. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in the Scriptures. They reveal Christ to us. When you're shoveling, if you've ever been shoveling before, sometimes you hit something hard. Ugh! Right? Sometimes you've got to then break up what's there and get that out so you can keep going. Sometimes that's when Scripture reveals things to you like sin or areas you need to change. You've got to break that stuff up by the power of the Spirit and get it out. Other times, if you're shoveling, some of you may have stories. You're shoveling, you're digging, digging a ditch, whatever. Uh, you hit something. Could be a root. But it may also be something great. That's how people find treasure. That's how people find treasure. That's how they find something that's extremely valuable. At first it's, uh, but then you've got to dig around it. You've got to get under it, get some water on it perhaps. You've got to really get into it, and then you might pull out something wonderful that if you would have stopped just when you hit it, you'd miss out. But it takes work. Does that make sense? Yes. You tracking with me? Okay. So, <clears throat> Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Jesus is in a long list of parables here. And if you're familiar with uh, verse 44, Jesus is explaining the kingdom of heaven. I love this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Okay, so he found this, this he was searching in this field, he finds this treasure, now he's going to also cover it up. Why is he doing that? He found a treasure, why would you cover it up? Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and then buys the field. Why does he do that? He wants the treasure. That's in that field. Now it's his treasure because he bought it. People are like, you, can you imagine this guy? He runs back, probably get dirt on him and stuff. Goes up, oh, I want to sell this. I'm going to sell my house, sell all these things. Oh, he's gone crazy. That's okay. He's selling good stuff. Let's get it on a good deal. He's selling it dirt cheap. It's a pun. <laughs> Didn't even mean to do it. Right? He's selling it and people are probably going, that doesn't make any sense. He's lost his mind. What's he know? I've got the treasure in the field. And in his joy, he's joyfully selling everything to go back and get that treasure. That is Scripture. That's Jesus. That's the kingdom of heaven. It's mining and searching and digging, getting out these treasures, but it takes a lot of work. And when we find it, we've got to hold on to it. Because again, I promise you, when you get in there, you're going to hear things that no one's ever said before. And it's going to change your life. Change your life to the degree that you're a guard who's going to arrest Jesus and you go, "Mm -mm, I'm not touching the guy. Let him speak into your lives, into your marriages, into your relationships, into your business, into your sickness, into death. 
Let him speak so you'll say, I've never heard anyone speak like this before. And you will find great hope. You will find great joy because that's what he promises. That's what his word does. Let's finish up here. Back over into John. The officers answered, nobody ever spoke like this man. Now here come the Pharisees. Here come the religious people. Here come the people who say, oh, you gotta, we got to work to have great joy. You can't just believe. Here's what they answered these guys. Have you been deceived? Right? They come back. I've never, with their own ears, we've never heard anyone speak like Jesus. Have you guys been deceived? The naysayers. Right? You share things that God has shown you, told you, and done in your life, and what do you always have? The people who say that. You just believe in a fairy tale. Your marriage is bad. You want to go to Jesus with it? You need Dr. Phil. You don't need Jesus. That's what they'll tell you. No. You need a lot of Jesus. A lot of His Word so you can hear it speak in a way that you've never heard before. And He'll tell you, husbands, die to yourselves. Die to yourselves and love your wives. Wives, die to yourselves. Love your husbands. You say, my relationship is just destroyed with my son or my grandson. Jesus would say, I can speak to that. I can help you if you'll let me, if you'll do the work, if you'll mine it out. I'll help you. Got no hope financially. He says, I'll speak to that. Have you also been deceived? Verse 48. Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? That's their argument. (laughs) That's the argument. Like, oh, no, don't believe in him. All of us who know everything. We haven't believed in him. Why would you? Their argument is, look how great and smart we are. And we don't believe in him. You foolish guards. But the guards know. What do they know? I've heard him. There's nothing like him. There's nothing like Jesus. So they try that route. None of of the important people, none of those who are experts believe in him. Hey, the popular people around the world in the United States, Hollywood, Hollywood doesn't believe in him. They're the famous people. You're still going to believe in Jesus? The scholars at the universities who know all this stuff, they're not believing. You're going to believe? Yeah. Because I've never heard anyone speak like him before. Look what they say. But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. These people who don't know the law like we know the law they're accursed. Don't be like them guards. Be like us. These people don't know any better. They're lowly. They're not in these special places. Do you see the pride just oozing out of them? It's incredible. But I love the irony in Scripture all throughout. Continue on. Almost done. Here we go. Look, look, look. Nicodemus Remember him? 
old Nicky, we saw him come around, right? Who had gone to him before, thinking back in John 3, and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Now, he's not going out full out and saying, look, Jesus is the Messiah. But he had that conversation. Remember, he went away from Jesus. We're like, what's going to happen to him? Now we're seeing him back in the picture. And he at least says, he's kind of on Jesus' side here. Now, not fully open yet, but he's at least there saying, shouldn't we do something? Now, this, this idea of their law, this isn't actually in Scripture as far as listening to somebody else first, but this seems to be a law that's gone through Israel, something that they've created. So he goes and he says, our law... We're not supposed to judge without listening to a hearing first. Look at the response in 52 now, even to one of their own. Look what he says. They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Do you hear it? They're mocking him now. We were talking earlier in Sunday school about persecution. The point of persecution is to get you to shut your mouth. He's speaking up for Christ, so they're going to mock him and make fun of him because the Galileans weren't thought well of anyway. And look what they say. Are you from Galilee? Can you see their face? Are you from Galilee too? <laughs> right? Look, search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. The authorities have spoken. They are the Pharisees. They are the experts. What are you doing? No, Gal- no prophet's going to come out of Galilee. Well, again, they haven't done their research. Where is Jesus from? Where was he born? Bethlehem. So he qualifies anyway. Anyway, but you know what else is interesting when they say this? Remember they just spoke poorly about those who don't know the, the, the Scriptures? Jonah. Scripture says Jonah came out of Galilee. Was Jonah a prophet? Yeah. yeah. Either they knew and now they're willing to even lie about it or those who knew the scripture so well and everyone else is a curse don't even know that Jonah comes from Galilee and maybe even Elijah depending on how you interpret it it's interesting isn't it the pride the depths that people will go to to oppose Christ when all he is is the prophet. All he is is the Christ, the promised one. All he is is one who speaks like nobody else ever. All he is is everything. And they'll go against him. And even still this day, in our time, over half the world, they're not for him. What side are you on? Do you follow him? If you do, I praise God for that. If you don't, in our time of invitation, just a second, you can come down. You can cry out from your seat, but you can come down. If you have some big things on your heart right now, you can come down and pray down here during our time of invitation. But what I really want you to walk away with if you're a follower of Jesus today, let Him speak to you. Let Him speak into your life, into your marriage, into your adoption possibility. Into your job, into your sickness into other sickness others let him speak to you through his word do the work do the shoveling let him speak in ways that you've never heard before and i promise the longer you walk with him the more you'll see how incredible he is let's pray together father we do love you and thank you for your word we thank you for the fact that it's in your word that we see christ who is our 
life. I pray for those who are here who may not know you, do not know you. In their heart, they know I'm not really following you. I pray they would make today that day as they cry out to you. And for those who are following, Lord, help us, help us, help us, please. To open your word and take our shovels and dig into your word. I know a lot of us think we're pretty smart. But Lord, ultimately that's pride, just like those Pharisees. Help us to be the people to ask these questions. Who is this this King of glory? Help me to see who He is and help each one of us to dig into Your Word and even break up the sin and issues we need to break up and get out, those rocks, and then help us to find these gems. And then, Lord, these treasures, help us to cherish it just like the man who goes and sells everything he has to buy the field. Help us to have a heart and a mind like this. In Jesus' name, amen.